Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Of Tan. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, the Jenna Dewan and Channing Tatum divorce that was far grittier than their official split statement ever let on, plus the landmark ruling that could shake up the reality TV industry, and a meaty discussion on the merits and shortcomings of marriage. But first, Zara... How was your week? My week was great. It was a good week. I'm so sorry to our shameless listeners, but I am absolutely, obviously going to mention the weather again because for people who live in Melbourne... Oh, my God. It's so defining with regards to your mood. So Melbourne hit like 28 and 33 degrees this week. What an achievement for Melbourne, first of all. Bravo. I actually do think it is an achievement for Melbourne. Like Melbourne should be commended and also positive affirmation for Melbourne. The more we positively (laughs) affirm Melbourne for its weather, perhaps the more it'll give us. I went on to... You're doing great stuff. <laughs> I went on two beach swims this week, which is great for my mood. I do like going to the beach to swim. Why? I hate going to the beach to swim. Why do you hate it? So I love much? going to the beach. But I only ever go on the sand and then maybe walk into the water and then walk very quickly back out because I don't like the idea of the unknown and I don't like the idea that if the water's a little bit murky, I could step on a fish or step on a rogue Coke can or anything and the feeling of stepping on something and not knowing what it is is very unpleasant. I think that we're quick to put people into two different camps when we're talking (laughs) about things but I do think there are two types of people at the beach. You're either a beach coward or a beach not coward, right? Right. So the beach not cowards, which is not my most articulate label (laughs) of things straight away. This is what happens when I try to think on the fly. You're Uh, a beach hero by this. A beach hero, I, yeah, (laughs) yep. I am. They're far grittier. So you'll put your head under the water, you'll go swimming, you're not going to like dance around in the water and go, ooh, ooh, which is what you do. You're like, I don't want to put my head under the water because I don't know what's there. So you think you're some type of champion because you like beach water? I think there's grit to it, yes. Okay. Do you? No, I, I mean, I've never thought about it. 
it's a little bit arrogant of you, but sure. I think it is completely arrogant. Like this is infused with ego, but I'm still standing by it. So I went on two beach swims. I'm trying to think, what do I recommend this week? I re-listened to an episode of Ladies We Need to Talk, which is a brilliant podcast by the ABC. Absolutely love that podcast. And I listened to this first episode maybe a year ago, but I re-listened this week because it seemed kind of relevant for a lot of the projects that we're working on. And it was an episode called Settling for Average. Yes. Have you listened to that one? I think I listened to it when it dropped. I've kind of forgotten a little bit about Ladies We Need to Talk and it's one of those podcasts that I want to rediscover and go back to and listen. I think it could be a really beautiful one to rediscover, particularly with this episode. It is about that concept of settling and settling for just enough Mm -hmm. and they use case studies of women who are in relationships that after a while are serving them because they are just enough but they're not more than enough and what that actually means and what that actually looks like in their life and it's a really non-judgmental look at average love, I would call it. You're having another theme. Have you realised this? What's my theme? So your recommendation theme before this was you went through a Me Too phase. I think it was three weeks in a row. Last week you recommended Kate Lever's piece on marriage and commitment <laughs> and this week you've come in with another thing on that thread. Maybe marriage and commitment and relationships is your next theme. I don't. <laughs> Zara, the basic bitch who follows a the theme for a month at a time. I am very I'm being pretty harsh on you today. I don't mind it. I, I actually don't it. mean it. For those people who say that we're mean to each other, I'm only ribbing her because I <laughs> love her it's fine the interesting thing is you're actually you are making me think maybe I dive deep into things because you're such a deep thinker and a beach hero because I am a beach hero but because I'm just predictable like once I dive deep into one thing I want to find out everything about it I'm just imagining you as like a superhero with like Zara beach hero with like a cape Can you not? Because some brand will jump on this and we'll have to do a campaign that's like Beach Coward versus Beach Hero. You know how it's like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? You are Zara Beach Hero. She's AOC. You're ZBH. That was a really bad joke. That's you now. That do you? At do least you, I didn't say that I'm a beach champion you, because I walk along. Do you regret that call? Do you regret saying you're a beach hero? <laughs> Look at us both try to drag each other down with our terrible calls. You will absolutely sink with my ship. I absolutely will. It's part of the job. How was your week? It was a really, really good week. I do have a bone to pick with a shameless listener. Hit me. I won't expose your name. I will expose what you posted in the group. (laughs) Which is so easy to find. (laughs) There's only 30,000 people in the group. I'm not mad. There's a search bar. And I'm not mad. I want to preface everything I say with, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. I'm not even disappointed. I just have queries. Okay. A shameless listener came into our Facebook group, which is Shameless Podcast Community, for those wondering. Please come join us. And she shared a snippet from Friends the well-known sitcom. (laughs) Sure you're all familiar with it. That old thing. Yes. She shared a snippet of Joey and Chandler and then made the comment that you remind her of Chandler Zara and I remind her of Joey. And and what's your issue? Are you kidding? Joey's an idiot. I'm, I'm actually like, okay, no bullshit. No bullshit. No like banter for a second. Ooh. I'm going to be tricky for a beach hero. I'm so, I'm so bantery. You're such a champion. I can, I guess I can. You're such a brave hero. I can fucking switch it off. <sighs> Breathe. Okay. Am I like Joey? And if yes, you need to tell me how because I don't see it. And I'm not trying to be biased and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I'm way fucking smarter than Joey Tribbiani. You're smarter than Joey Tribbiani for sure. In what way am I like him then? You're not. (laughs) You're not. You're a hybrid. If I was to brand you, you're a hybrid between Monica and Ross. You're the third sibling. That's You're so a Geller. Mean. Michelle Geller. That's real. Oh, isn't there a celebrity called that? Sarah Michelle Geller. Very fuck. close. <laughs> I host a celebrity podcast. Thank you very much. Um, 
how? Okay, that's really offensive, number one, because aside from Joey, the other two I would not like to be compared to, of course, are Ross and Monica. Do you think you would like to be compared to Phoebe, though? Kind of. Because she's kind of quirky and likeable. Ross and Monica are not likeable. They are likeable. They're likeable <laughs> in their unlikableness. Oh, your face just then. You're just like puffy dog eyes. I'm really I'm like, am I Joey? I'm probably, I don't want to be Joey. I'm a Monica probably too. No, you fucking know you're a Chandler. No one doubted that you're a Chandler. Of course you are. I'm not doubting it. I'm <laughs> fucking hell. I don't want to be a Monica or a Ross. Maybe we should start a thread in the Facebook group. What actually is Michelle? <sighs> How many times have I said the F word already? That's how riled up this has gotten me. And people say I swear too much. Well, if you think I swear too much, don't compare me to Joey Tribbiani. And with that, let's move right along. Michelle, should we get in the show? We're starting with Jenna Dewan and Channing Tatum because Jenna Dewan, I believe, has released a new book. She has. I'm sweating, but I'm moving on right along with you. Jenna Dewan has released a memoir called Gracefully You. And in that memoir, Zara, she revealed that her split from Channing Tatum was not as airy, fairy, flowery, beautiful as she led on last year when they announced their split. For those not across this, Jenna Dewan is a dancer turned actress. She met Channing Tatum on set for a movie. They got married in 2009. They split in April last year. So it was like nine, ten years of marriage. And when they split, they released one of those very stereotypical saccharine, we love each other more than ever statements. So this is what they posted on Instagram at the time, Zara. Hey, world. So. (laughs) Hey, world. Hey, world. So we have something we would like to share. We have lovingly chosen to separate as a couple. Absolutely nothing has changed about how much we love one another, but love is a beautiful adventure that is taking us on different paths for now. If I was to write a spoof celebrity breakup statement, I couldn't write it that well. You would need to start it with Hey World. Hey World is just the best. Hey World. (laughs) It's just so stupid. It is ridiculous. Also, nothing has changed about our love apart from the fact we don't love each other nearly (laughs) enough to continue this relationship. Apart from the fact that I want to move the hell out and never see him again. Genuinely. So Jenna Dewan has written a new book called Gracefully You and it is filled with details about her divorce, which is a really interesting evolution in like the public narrative of the their divorce because they did start by saying we've never loved each other more and now Jenna Dewan is actually coming with the realistic details of heartbreak and I think that's the way she's able to talk about this in a way that doesn't feel as salacious as it could because she's She's rooting it in heartbreak and not the split from Channing. Absolutely. So the quote that was from the book said, I'd come to realize the dynamic I was in wasn't serving me, nor was it serving my daughter. First and foremost, I had to accept the realization this isn't working and had moved into hurting. What do you think that means? I think that's really cryptic and interesting. I'd come to realize the dynamic I was in wasn't serving me, nor was it serving my daughter. What does she mean by that? And what's the benefit of bringing her daughter into this? Like if it is the breakdown of your relationship, it should be the breakdown of your relationship irrespective of your relationship with your child, right? Yeah. Like it should just be about both of you. So she is genuinely trying to tell us that. She is genuinely trying to tell us something through that because I think she's genuinely trying to tell us a lot through this really cryptic quotes. Yeah, it's almost like there was a behavioural pattern and I don't want to speculate too much because Channing Tatum is obviously a real person and it's not super nice to have these kind of rumours flying around in the public domain. However, Jenna Dewan pulling their six-year-old daughter Everly into the fold here says to me that there may have been a behavioural pattern 
or a lifestyle pattern going on that was affecting the whole household? Because why else would a relationship dynamic – I mean, I guess you could argue that any uh, toxic relationship is going to affect your kids – but I don't know if you would do that unless there was something like a very pointed issue at play here. Well, I think if the breakdown was relatively amicable, you wouldn't be saying something like that. But I do appreciate how her perspective has evolved from doing the very evasive PR spin to the more genuine but not really, like I said before, not really salacious public admission of what heartbreak is really like. She did talk to people very recently and said this quote too, Mish, which I also find very cryptic and very interesting. She said, I started to wonder if everything I believed in and always talked about was real. Could anyone or anything ever be trusted? Ooh. Like that's not subtle by any stretch. And I, I wonder if I'm too naive and I would be interested in your thoughts on this to say that this is still a mature public conversation about heartbreak or do I just like it from her because she doesn't have a very checkered history, she's not very controversial so my blinkers are on? Like if this were, these quotes were coming from someone else, would we be as commending? Well, that was what I was going to bring up because I think – the conversation around what you owe your ex after splitting up with them is something people have been talking about a lot recently, for example, with Miley Cyrus and Liam Hemsworth, because she did write that song, which seemed to be about a potential substance abuse issue and about their relationship. And lots of people found that to be pretty gross, to be honest, because even though your relationship ended, you probably do owe a level of respect to your partner. Another quote from Jenna Dewan that I found interesting was, I was learning things about my ex most people wouldn't have to face. And over the internet, as it was happening, there I was on a plane alone finding out about his new relationship. I was blindsided. Do you think a celebrity in Channing Tatum's position owes it to another celebrity partner to say, hey, I'm dating and this is going to be in tabloids and this is going to be all over the internet? And on the flip side of that, what does someone like Jenna owe her ex-husband when it comes to writing a book that includes details of their relationship? Well, that's what I think. There, uh, there can't be a scenario where there's no anger there if she's willing to air it publicly. Mm. What does Channing owe Jenna? When I first read this, I was like, you know what? If you just started seeing someone and you didn't realise there were going to be pap photos, do you owe your ex a conversation before you're even sure about the relationship? But then I sort of did a 180 on that because I thought these people are very famous. They've been in the public eye for a really long time. They would know, A, if they're just dating or B, if they're dating someone who's really, really famous too. That well, he's papar- dating Jesse J. Exactly. The paparazzi are going to be chasing them. Like they're mm. going to be everywhere and I think the self-aware thing to do would be to give the heads up. Yeah, and I don't think it was pap photos that were first released. I remember there being photos of Jesse J and Channing Tatum kind of putting collages next to each other and it was sources close to the couple that said they were dating. So it was people in his team going to the media about it. Yes, then I do think he probably owed her a conversation and with regards to whether she can share it, I don't know, to be honest, if she feels wronged and I would be surprised if there was a scenario where she wasn't wronged and still did this, Yes, she can kind of still talk about it in whichever way she likes. Yeah, and I'm glad she's talking about it. I mean, she's moved on. She's got a new partner and she's pregnant with a baby girl. So power to her. If she wants to talk about it, talk about it. I think it's way more respectful than what someone like Miley Cyrus is doing for her ex-partner. Thank you, next bitch. 
And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top, arguably top, five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle, what have you got for us this week? My first story, exclusive trouble in paradise. Speedo-clad Cody Simpson says Miley won't listen to him as he whinges everyone in Australia hates him because he's dating Liam Hemsworth's ex. That is from the Daily Mail. And yes, that rolls in really nicely with the last segment. Zara. This has got to be one of my favourite stories from the week. Yes. Do you want to give everyone a bit of a rundown as to what happened? I absolutely do. So as we all know, Cody Simpson is in Australia because he won the masked stinger. The stinger. (laughs) You know what, though. Try again. Not a bad sort of little Freudian slip. The masked stinger. How is that a good Freudian slip? Yeah, it's not. I've really fucked it now. (laughs) But it's Shelby. The beach hero is brought down a peg or two. (laughs) The masked stinger. No, there's definitely something in that. I just can't think on the spot because I'm not smart enough. I'll just let your ego run wild. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Anyway, he robbed, obviously, Rob Mills. Robbed Rob Mills. Stop it. I need to stop. Continue. (laughs) Up the title. Anyway, Cody Simpson's in Australia because he was doing a bunch of press for the masked stinger and he was by a pool in Sydney and was on the phone and the Daily Mail have all of this footage of Cody Simpson walking around this public pool in his speedos and then his board shorts on the phone. There's no sound to the video but there is footage of him pacing up and down, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very odd thing for someone like Cody Simpson when he's been more in the public eye in the last week or two than perhaps he ever has in years to have a public conversation conversation about his relationship around people and then listeners might be thinking well how do we even know this story is true but just it just feels bang on doesn't it I mean I know this isn't the most predictable thing in the world but our gut our collective gut Zara says this is true so is that enough I'm gonna say it's enough I think it's true and I should give background as to why we think it's true I think it's true because I've come to the conclusion that I think Cody Simpson might have set all of this up I wonder if he's doing a bunch of this for publicity. Think about it. When was the last time we spoke this much about Cody Simpson? His relationship with Miley Cyrus coincides so nicely with his performance on The Masked Singer. Lindsay Lohan said on The Masked Stinger last week or whenever the finale was that he wanted to revive his career and this was maybe part of it. Mm. Would you be surprised if this was a publicity stunt of some form? No, I have a different take on this. But before I give my take, I will give some of the quotes that people sitting around the pool, because that's what happened. People sat around the pool, overheard what Cody Simpson was saying on the phone because he was supposedly talking so loudly, and they sent the quotes to the Daily Mail. So what he allegedly said on the phone was, we had a weird one yesterday, not really an argument, but she kind of shut down. Yeah, it was kind of shitty, but whatever. I'm copping shit here because of her exes. You know, her husband is Australian he said, with onlookers all around him. Now, Zara, I think there is a kernel of truth that maybe this is for publicity, but I have a bit of a spin on this that's not similar to yours. Simpson is 22, right? He had a long time where he was basically irrelevant and nobody really cared about what he was doing. I would say probably four or five years after being pegged as this guy who was going to be the next Justin Bieber. He's gone through four years of being irrelevant. He's finally come into the spotlight. Everyone's loving his shit. Everyone finally cares about him again. I would not be surprised if a 22-year-old guy who's come back into the spotlight would want the people at that pool, it was a fancy pool, to be like, yeah, you're right, I'm Cody Simpson and I'm the one who's dating Miley Cyrus. And I would not be surprised if he was peacocking, walking around that pool, making sure the people there kind of knew. People might have been looking at him going, is that that 
is that that guy dating Miley? And he's walking around going, yeah, we had a fight last night. You know, her husband's Australian, making it super obvious because it's an ego thing. I think that there are definite elements of truth to what you're saying. Maybe it exists somewhere between both of what we're saying Mm. in that maybe he's still dating her and it's not a complete publicity stunt, but maybe something like this is a publicity stunt where Mm. you deliberately, like you say, speak very loudly with the intention of it making news. Very interesting decision to wear Speedos. Do you think? Why Speedos? He's pretty hot. He can wear Speedos. Do hot guys wear Speedos now? Have I missed that? Yes, hot guys wear Speedos now. Watch out this summer. Oh, okay. Hot boy summer. My second story, (laughs) Kylie Jenner trademarks rise and shine. So if you want to wake up, it'll cost you. That is from the cut. So what's actually happened? She's just trademarked rise and shine. Yeah. So anyone who listened to last week's episode will be well across this. Kylie Jenner went viral for singing rise and shine. She is a musical genius now. She, two days after this blew up on the internet, quickly filed for the trademark application to use this across a bunch of things. It was like merchandise, candles, swimwear, fragrance, basically everything you could name. And she sold out of Rise and Shine hoodies. She was selling them for $65 US and they sold out on her website in hours. So the devil works hard, but Kris Jenner works harder. My third story, you put this in Zara, so you're going to have to fight for it. I know. I was tempted to remove it, but it's here. I'm nervous. Here we go. We can all judge Zara, our favorite beach hero (laughs) on this story. Number three. Dolly Parton's America. Yeah, no, we've just lost it's half a week. of our listeners. <laughs> and the shameless listenership declines Stay. by half. Dolly Parton's America. <laughs> How the country star inspired a hit podcast. That is from The Guardian. Go okay. on. Stay with me. Stay with me. All I want to do is talk about why the fuck Dolly Parton is everywhere. Now, you can't deny the fact that there's been more news around Dolly Parton than ever. Okay, yes. I acquiesce. You're correct. And have you seen that Dolly Parton podcast in your podcast charts and wondered what the fuck it is? Why are we being beaten by Dolly Parton? Yeah, we are being being beaten by Dolly Parton right now. How to appeal to Michelle, appeal to her ego and its (laughs) bruisedness. Anywho, I have wondered all week what the deal is with this Dolly Parton podcast and why Dolly Parton stories are all over the news cycle. So what's happened is there's been this new podcast about Dolly Parton and I wondered why so many people are obsessed with it. So the host and producer, Jad Abramrad said in an interview with The Guardian this week that he wanted to pursue a podcast on Dolly Parton of all people because of the 2016 US election. He said to The Guardian, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were going at each other's throats in a way that was shocking to a lot of us. Regardless of political party, it just felt like it had gotten so ugly. Then he said Dolly Parton came to Queens in that time in New York to perform and he reminded him of other celebrity visits that had brought people together like the Pope. And he said in this, in this interview, it felt like people had elected her in their hearts. So he pursued a Dolly Parton podcast for three years and now there are stories literally on the internet that are like, I actually have lost myself. <laughs> I was looking at you being like... I am not opening my mouth. This is your dying, sinking ship. You can save it all on your own. And I think we can all agree that was a massive fail. I can't even finish. I'm whittling this down as it needs attention on on your report card. All I'm going to say is apparently there's no more unifying figure in America right now than Dolly Parton, but even still I kind of don't give a fuck. Roll me on to the next story. (laughs) My fourth story. Looney cartoon criticising mother's use of Instagram and social media sparks backlash. That's so not funny. I'm sorry. 
Oh, I'm laughing at Zara's face, looking all defeated. That is from the ABC, and this actually is a serious story, Zara, because Lunig, for our international listeners, is a cartoonist and a iconic one at that. Hugely iconic, has been producing cartoons in Australia, particularly for what was Fairfax, for so, so, so many years. Has some pretty controversial opinions, is very prominently anti-vax, old mate Lunig. But what he did in this uh, cartoon is he did a cartoon sort of inferring, almost explicitly inferring, I would say, Mm -hmm. that mothers are always on their phones and babies are falling out of prams because of it. Absolutely. I'm going to read it out. So there is a mother looking at her phone with a pram and there's a baby lying on the floor behind her. And the prose across the cartoon reads, Mummy was busy on Instagram when beautiful Bubby fell out of the pram and lay on the path unseen and alone, wishing that he was loved like a phone. This unsurprisingly sparked fury amongst Australian mothers because This is a thread in a lot of learning cartoons that apparently Australian mothers are neglectful, don't care about their children, are too obsessed with social media, and yet he never focuses on Australian dads. This is purely a problem with the women of Australia, according to Lunig. Yeah, and Lunig has form when it comes to these kinds of things, like has form criticising mothers rather than parents in general. I think I saw the same opinion piece pop up the next morning across every single publication, which was really lovely to see because it's almost like a unifying um, experience when you see every single news publication decide to run a counterpiece, including the SMH who ran this cartoon. It was a real uprising from women and men too regarding it. It's just interesting. Lunig's in his mid-70s now. It's interesting that those kinds of things get as much airtime as they do. But what can you do? You're not going to censor a cartoon that people largely disagree with, can you, as a newspaper? And am I surprised that a 74-year-old quite conservative cartoonist came out with something like this. I mean, he was shaming mums not that long ago for putting their kids in childcare as if daring to work as a mother is neglectful in and of itself. I'm not surprised by this. If anything, I'm surprised that it was published as something that's totally fine and okay. But then even as I say that, is it a publication's responsibility to only publish things that are woke and progressive? No, Absolutely not, not. So maybe the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald did their job in sharing a cartoon that sparks conversation. That's exactly what Lunig cartoons are supposed to do. I think for me, it comes back to when we were talking about that Carrie Ann story from a few weeks ago. And it's like uh, quite a few people of his era would think like this. So it's probably not the most damaging thing having it raised in the context in which it was because it allows so so many young people to come up, uprise, disagree and have a conversation. And I do think that the disagreement is so much louder than the initial cartoon. And heartening as well. I think it's always a silver lining that, yes, some elderly people are a little bit reductive in their messaging about working women. And I have one grandmother who is incredibly progressive and I really appreciate that. But I couldn't say that always for my grandmother who died last year. And that didn't make me love her any less. I think when it comes to elderly people, it was completely different for them. And do I begrudge Lunig for sharing this? Not really. He's 74. So as much as I don't want to dismiss him and as much as I want to take it seriously, I kind of found a lot of positivity in the response to what he said. And I think it's important that we lend our platforms to elderly people and senior Australians because there are opinions that are opinions and it helps to shed light to all kinds of takes on society. My fifth story, Dennis Quaid, 65, engaged to 26-year-old girlfriend. That is from news.com today. This story has sparked so much outcry. Isn't it interesting? Because Dennis Quaid is not the first 
powerful rich man to... Be engaged to someone far younger than him. Yeah. Like, this is not the kind of story that makes me bat an eye. Like, I read this story and I kind of have, a like, a little quiet smile to myself because I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh, look, a 40-year age gap. How weird. But, like, nothing much more beyond that. Like, to be honest, good luck to them. Have fun. Enjoy your marriage. Mm. But this story in particular has had this swelling of opinion pieces around it. One Vice piece called it Weird and Gross, which mm. I thought was a really absolute headline to put on a story like that in 2019. It's not like Vice. But I thought it's interesting because people don't respond well to that. People might click into it because they're like, oh, my God, how controversial. But it's an interesting headline to put on a story regardless because it's going to create a whole heap of backlash for the writer. It's not smart to be that absolute. Yeah, I agree that the trend of older men dating much younger women should be examined. I think there might be a greater power structure at play here. However, I don't think it's fair to ever call someone's relationship weird and gross or use any of those kinds of synonyms to describe someone's relationship. Because yes, okay, there's a 39-year age gap between these two. Does that mean they're not in love? No. Does that mean there's something sinister going on? No. It's also kind of taking away the agency of Laura Savoy, who is his much younger partner, but she is 26. She's allowed to marry whoever she wants. She's allowed to fall in love with him. She's a PhD student. Like, she's got a brain in her head. I don't really appreciate the inference that she's been dragged along into this engagement or into this marriage because that's not the case. She's allowed to marry whoever she pleases. No, I so agree. And I think there's a fine line here. I agree with you. I think it's always important to examine power structures in relationships Mm. and greater trends at play. But to use one relationship as an example that's weird or gross is really strange to me and actually very, very unhelpful. I don't think it progresses the conversation in a way that's helpful or productive. Dare I say, I think we do it for Dennis Quaid. And when I say we, I mean the media in general. Because Dennis Quaid seems to be mocked a little bit more than other men in similar positions to him. For example, Alec Baldwin, who has a 26-year gap between he and his wife, Hilaria, doesn't receive this kind of condemnation, not this kind of snarkiness anyway. And there's an air to Dennis Quaid as kind of that uh, goofy dad role that never played it in a serious movie do you think yeah. do you think it's the roles that he used to take maybe. on maybe we don't see him as a serious actor or like a seriously talented man and therefore we're willing to take swings at him a little bit more than other men and I, I don't know maybe that's just me throwing it out but I definitely kind of chuckle at Dennis Quaid more than I do other male actors and I wonder if that kind of erroneously gave writers some type of license to be cruel Potentially, very potentially. Is that all you've got for me today? That is all I've got for you. Coming up after the break, we look at the landmark case for reality TV villains and explore a conversation around marriage that exploded in our Facebook group this week. But first, a word from today's sponsor. This week, in a landmark ruling for the Workers' Compensation Commission, a former House Rules contestant called Nicole Prince was found in favour of after she claimed psychological trauma as a result of her time on the reality show. The reason the ruling was so widely reporting is really interesting. Despite what her contract stipulated, Nicole Prince was deemed an employee of Channel 7 and therefore was eligible for compensation. Mish, how did you consider the conversation around the ruling this week? I think people may have gotten a little bit ahead of themselves and jumped the gun. In the first couple of days after this story was made public, lots of publications ran that 
this could end up being a class action and that all these reality TV villains could be looking for compensation or be taking massive networks to court. And I don't think that's the case. I think if you go read a really great piece on the Sydney Morning Herald that I'll pop in the show notes of this episode, it explains why this can't be a class action or why the chances of that happening are basically zero. Because for a class action, you need seven or more people and it needs to be the exact same scenario where they were injured. And that's not the case here. Well, it'd be very, very hard to find the same scenario over and over and over again. People have shared sort of maybe trauma from their experience, but the circumstances that lead to that are all very different. Just for a bit of context, so what actually happened was this ruling was in New South Wales and the arbiter of the New South Wales Commission, Cameron Burge, found in favour of Nicole Prince. So what Miss Prince claimed was that she claimed she experienced psychological trauma as a result of her time on House Rules, which is... Quite a good show for those wondering. Oh, it's not a good show. Which she appeared on that. in season five in 2017. She said she was harassed and bullied during the filming of the show and argued it wasn't just condoned by the producer, but it was aggravated and encouraged by them. She complained that her and her teammate, Fiona Taylor, were subject to isolation, bullying and harassment by the other teams and that at one point Miss Taylor was physically assaulted. What she said happened was the other teams in the competition were only shown negative comments they've made about their innovations or wherever it might be and that caused a negative response. And she said they later told us that they had felt hurt and upset that we didn't seem to care how hard they had worked and they thought we were the nastiest people on the planet. So Mm. they said they were isolated because of that because they were made out to be these really nasty bullies. Yeah. When I read the details of this finding, I was a little bit stunned as to how how they were put through this and what the time on set was actually like and the lengths that the producers went to to squeeze as much drama out of this show as physically possible. This decision does for the first time establish an employment relationship between Channel 7 and between the reality contestants on House Rules, which is really interesting because I was always under the impression that these networks make sure their contracts are watertight and that there is no way for reality contestants to sue them over these types of things or claim compensation. The other side of this is I've never seen either of these women in my entire life. When I saw photos of them all over the media, I had no idea what show they were on, what year it was on. I was really stunned to find out that it was 2017 because that's quite recent and I work in the media and you would think that I'd be across these kinds of things. They have a pop culture podcast and yet their names and their photos did not spark any memories for me. Which is really interesting to me because clearly the trauma of being painted as a villain was so strong that they wanted to seek compensation and makes you actually think about the ones that are made an example of nationally mm. that actually do make the national papers. After the show, Ed, Nicole Prince said she was subjected to online abuse on Seven's Facebook page, including receiving threats of serious physical assault and had been unable to find work after being told by potential employers due to her portrayal as a bully. I do think there's definitely something to be said about about the network's moderation of their own threads on reality TV shows because they do not protect their own contestants. That was what stood out to me so much. I know that with people like Abby Chatfield, who was depicted as a villain on The Bachelor, and with people like Tully Smythe, who was the villain on Big Brother about five years ago, there was nowhere near enough moderation on the social posts. And this has been going on for five years now. So I don't understand why networks are still not moderating their comment threads enough and are still not 
backing up the people who have taken time out of their lives to go on their show. That might be a really Pollyanna way to look well, at this. Well, it's a hype thing, right? Like it's creating a conversation. It's getting people passionate about the show and whether they're passionate in a good way or a bad way, you're going to get them watching next week. Yeah, the really complicated side of this argument about social media is that I'm also under the impression, and we've spoken to plenty of reality TV contestants on this podcast before, Zara, that they, while the show is airing, have their social media taken away from them. So they don't have the logins. The only people who have the logins to Instagram profiles are the producers or are people from the network. That leaves them really exposed because if they don't have control over, for example, their comment section, if they can't disable comments or if they can't screen comments at the very least or have family and friends go through them. Or right of reply. Yeah, or right of reply. Doesn't that leave them so vulnerable to a huge beast of trolling and vitriol? I just find that so incredibly unfair. The other element of this is that I feel like a lot of listeners will be listening to what we're saying and thinking, well, people should just stop putting themselves in this position. Why do people keep handing over their entire lives to television networks in the first place? And while I do agree with a kernel of that argument, I think we also need to acknowledge that people like Abby Chatfield and people like Tully Smythe never go onto these shows expecting to be the villains. They go onto these shows to have a great experience and to do something and to be able to look back on this in a couple of decades' time and think, wow, that was a really cool thing and that was different and I lived my life and I experienced something that many people never experience. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt. I totally understand that sometimes television shows attract a certain kind of personality, but I think in the same way we also forget that these shows are social experiments. By design, they push people to their absolute limits. They get the absolute worst out of them. And to have that not only shown to the entire country, but then also manipulated to make it look its absolute worst to the entire country is something we need to keep in mind. Yeah, I think we've definitely peddled on the podcast before this idea that maybe some types of reality TV contestants need to take responsibility for their own portrayal on TV. But I do think stories like this are changing my perspective a little bit because I do think maybe it's just beyond what we ever considered. Like, I think we can say as much as we want, well, don't you know what you're signing up for? But I think the reality is nobody does. Like, nobody understands what's going on behind the scenes and it might be too convenient for us now to say there should be a greater level of responsibility on the hands of the contestants going on the show because they genuinely don't know because nobody ever knows. To your point before about contracts and the fact that these networks have really, really tight contracts around the contestants going on to these shows – They really do. Like they are watertight contracts so that they are not liable in any way, shape or form for anything that happens on the show. And it reminds me of Amy Kaufman's book, Bachelor Nation. Amy Kaufman is a US journalist who writes for the LA Times. And she wrote a whole book about the Bachelor franchise over in the US. And she got her hands on one of the contracts that the contestants sign. And apparently the contract asks that contestants acknowledge that elements of surprise will be included and they must be prepared for anything, including twists and surprises. How what does that even mean? Exactly. Like how you define that is beyond me. Like you're just signing away the most general, vague terms and they can really justify anything when they're talking about being prepared for anything, twists and surprises. Like mm. imagine the kinds of things you could justify. Mm. I've got to say my level of sympathy for someone like Nicole Prince is probably higher than a married at first sight contestant too. I think when you sign on to go onto a house renovation show – 
you don't expect that you're going to be bullied so badly that you contemplate suicide when you leave it. This was a quote included in Nicole Prince's claim at the commission, which was, after my episode aired, I wanted to kill myself and I started drinking more alcohol in an attempt to self-medicate. She developed depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, amongst other psychological injuries as a result of being on the show. It's pretty dark to read, isn't it? And I think that's a really good point that you've raised in that maybe there is a difference in the type of show that people are applying for by virtue of what you get out of it at the end. Mm. So if you think about a show on House Rules, you can imagine a lot of young Australians or even older Australians see the benefit of having your entire mortgage paid off. Like that's not this pursuit of blind fame. That's a pursuit of a better life. Well, Nicole Prince was never trying to become an Instagram influencer. She was trying to renovate a house and I don't think – And I think lots of people listening to this would put their hand up and say, yeah, go on the block. I'd absolutely go on the block and renovate a house. It'd be fun. I can be into interior designs. We view reality contestants very differently based on what show they go on. And I absolutely have more time for a complaint like Nicole Prince's when it has to do with a renovation show. I do wonder if the tide is slowly starting to turn. And I think genuinely it might be. It's interesting. We talk on this podcast a lot about reality television villains and the portrayal of reality television contestants. And I think for all the conversations we've had, we felt very little change. But I do think given this ruling, I think there was a great story on SBS as well based on a study that someone had done on the trauma or the experience of reality TV villains that sentiment is changing, albeit very, very slowly. For me, it will be most interesting to see how we react to a major villain in something like Married at First Sight at the start of next year Mm. or something or a television show of that scope to see if we're smarter or if anything's changed at all. No way, we won't be. Think about it, this podcast exists in a corner and it's big, but it's not as big as the viewership of Married at First Sight and I think we get caught up. We tend to be in the same cycle all the time where we feel outraged when a villain does something on television and that lasts for two weeks and then two weeks later we self-reflect and go, hang on, maybe we over-exaggerated how bad that was and the music was kind of fucked up underneath what they were saying and you can hear that words are stitched together and then the interviews come out and we're like, oh, they're a good person, they're so candid and honest and maybe we do like them and then their Instagram following soars and they become an influencer or podcast host or what have you. But then another show comes out and we go through the exact same rigmarole all over again. I don't think we're going to be smarter because we're forgetful, fallible (laughs) human beings. I agree with that. We're kind of little dories left, right and centre, aren't we? (laughs) But to that point, the more conversations we have – the better it is. And I'm not saying it's market change, but I think it's tiny, glacially paced change, genuinely, because I think the more we realise, the more we catch ourselves when we start reacting so viscerally to things we're seeing on our TV. And I don't think that's a bad thing, though I think it'll be a really, 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 really long time before anything changes in its entirety. Rise and shine. This week, a post in our Facebook group from listener Leisha sparked a mammoth conversation around marriage. Leisha wrote, I am so torn. Deep down, I really want to get married, but I don't know why. And I can't come up with a logical reason, and that pisses me off because I'm a logical person. I love discussing other people's beliefs because I genuinely want to understand how they came to their conclusion. And I'm open to changing my own views if someone can please provide better reasons or logic for their point of view on marriage. I've been with my partner for nearly nine years now, 
now and I know I want to spend my life with him, but what does a piece of paper change? Zara, let's unpack that exact question. What does a piece of paper change in a relationship? This thread, first and foremost, was so interesting. So we touched on marriage so, so fleetingly last week and there were hundreds of comments Mm. in the Facebook group after that. So we thought we genuinely should have a conversation about it if it's something that people are talking about. What does a piece of paper change? I have gone back and forth on this all week since we actually started thinking about it properly. I remember asking my mum a long time ago. My sister had got back from overseas and she'd been travelling by herself for a little bit and she got back and she was like, I don't know if I necessarily want to get married. She'd been with her partner for a really long time but she couldn't understand the benefits of marriage. And I remember asking my mum and she said, well, it's nice to take a moment to declare that you love someone in front of the people that you care about the most and that does count for something. And I think our fixation on this piece of paper might be leading us down a rabbit hole that's not as important. I think the thing that makes people want to do this are things like that, those really nice, wholesome moments that maybe we don't enjoy as much anymore. Mm. The element of marriage that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable is that it's kind of like bringing the government into your relationship as a third party, which I find do unusual. You, or do you say that because you feel like you need to? No, no I do find it a bit odd that you – You cement your relationship by making it some legally binding commitment whereby unless you have a prenup, you need to hand over 50% of all you own. That is an odd arrangement. Yeah, but it's kind of like when you enter into the world and get a birth certificate and you're owned by your parents. Like all of your relationships are defined from the moment you're born, the important ones anyway. I do really agree with you when it comes to having a symbolic moment about your relationship. And I, full disclosure, I want to get married. I absolutely want to get married. Yeah, so do I. And I think the reason I want to do that is because it's nice. And I don't think we necessarily need to downplay that. I think doing nice things in life and having beautiful moments and loving moments is important. Life can be hard and having a wedding and having a husband or a wife is something that is wonderful for a lot of people. Not everyone. I know that 50% of marriages in America, like we touched on last week, and a third of marriages in Australia do too. I come from parents who split up and they split up when I was 21. So believe me, I know what a broken marriage can look like and I know what a broken family can look like. All of that in mind, my parents splitting and seeing that firsthand has not made me any more cynical about marriage. If anything, I want to be married more now. Like I love the idea of having that commitment and giving it a go myself. And it's kind of like a test to be like, third of couples don't do this. We can be in the two thirds who make it last. Am I in the majority or the minority? I'm competitive. So yes, I'll beat the third who don't last. (laughs) Oh my God. I think that you're right though, when we're talking about nice moments, I think that caters for a lot about why people get married. Like designated celebrations for niceness and happiness can't be underestimated, Mm. I don't think. The thing that I've been thinking about marriage in the last week or so is this idea of weddings deliberately bringing two sides of a family or friends together in a way not many other events have. Like how else can you get to know the people around the people you love more so than through wedding celebrations? The few weddings that I've been to, it's so it's been so lovely just putting faces to names of friends of someone that I care about or family members of someone that I care about. It's an incredibly uniting thing. And could you name something else that could unite people in the same way? No, probably not. Well, nothing that we have that exists at the moment anyway. And it's so funny because we're two people who don't plan on taking our future husband, whoever they may be. We don't plan on taking their surnames. I don't. I want to stay Michelle Andrews forever. And 
that's interesting as well because lots of people say I want to get married because I want to have the same name as my husband and that's kind of a go-to reasoning to want to do it. I do want to touch on loneliness for just a second because I do wonder if loneliness comes into this at all. It is such a prevalent theme in our lives, especially amongst young people and millennials, to feel disconnected and feel lonely. Loneliness is on the rise. More than a quarter of young men and young women feel desperately lonely and feel like they want a companion in life, according to numerous studies. Forbes describes it as the millennial loneliness epidemic. And I wonder, do millennials still want to get married because it's seen as a way to kind of remedy that feeling of being unanchored and being alone. I'm in a couple of minds about that because I don't know what relevance marriage has to loneliness so much as the pursuit of a partner. Companionship. Yeah, but I think that's about the pursuit of a partner rather than locking it down. Do you know what I mean? But like, I think it you can cements still, it, right? And I think that's the argument that a lot of people make in their minds and that it feels like it cements it more than anything else. I do wonder, and I wanted to put this question to you, about how much you value the concept of marriage. For example, if Mitch turned around to you today and said, I'm not getting married, I refuse to get married, if that would bother you. Mm, probably not. I, I want to get married, but it's absolutely not a deal breaker. If Mitch turned around to me and said, I'm taking up smoking, I'd be like, <laughs> I don't know. But if you turn around and said, I don't want to get married, that would not be a deal breaker. If you said, I don't want to have kids, absolutely. That would need to be a conversation and a really serious one at that. I, I don't question it too much. It's not super important to me. I don't think it's super important to my family necessarily either. My sister Claire is having a baby before she gets married and that was never, ever questioned in our family whatsoever. So probably not. What about you? No, I don't think so. Like I don't value it so much that I would end a relationship whether or not it happened or not. No. But I do kind of still want to do it. I did want to raise some of the reasons in that thread that that listeners said they didn't get married or don't want to get married. Listener Chelsea had a, like a list of five. I don't know if you saw this. <laughs> An itemized list it is my kind of list. So, so helpful. And she said the first one was sexist elements, which I don't think anyone can deny. I yep. think people might roll their eyes when they hear that because it can sound exhausting, but it's incredibly true. A lot of women give up a lot of independence when they get married. It doesn't have to be the case, but it can happen. She also said, I can't get past the fact that marriage is an institution that both excludes groups of people at the same time as forcing children into it, which I thought was a really interesting Clever. line. She also said she doesn't know if she can necessarily promise to be with someone forever. She knows that she's, that sounds a little unromantic, but it's the truth that mm-hmm. she's changed a lot in the last decade. What's to say she's going to be the same person over the rest of her life? And the last answer was money. Like marriage is expensive, not just a wedding, but as you say, giving up a lot of what you have if it doesn't work out. Go Chels. I know. What a great list. It is. And I think it's really important that we give voice to those reasons because they're incredibly legitimate and incredibly prevalent. Mm. One thing I've been thinking about in our era is it is it not just easier to be married, and I don't say that, like, just get married, it's easier, but it's almost like the easier option because there's less explanation around it. Like, I feel like we demand people's explanation if they don't get married because being married is the more conventional, traditional thing to do. Well, it's the more trodden path, right? It's what most people do, and therefore I think a lot of us live our lives, myself included, pretty uncritically. Like, for me, I want to have kids, of course, and I want to get married, of course, but I wonder if that's just because what I've seen every other woman in my life do, and therefore I've never really considered the alternative. I do think if I considered it really deeply, I'd still want kids, but marriage, maybe not. But I think lots of us just live our lives kind of in the flow. And if it's what everyone around us is doing, we follow suit. And I think this is where I feel kind of conflicted on the subject. 
fact, because there was a couple of comments on the thread that said, I mean, isn't just I want to get married reason enough? I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it doesn't always have to be draining to unpack things mm. or unpack why we do things. I think if we blindly do things all the time, we will find ourselves in a world of trouble. Like it doesn't mean we need to find ourselves outraged or find problems in all the decisions we're making or problems in historical traditions. But I think it's worth us thinking about why we're buying into something because none of us will evolve if we don't have a think about it. And when I think about that, I wonder if I buy into the idea of marriage because subconsciously I've swallowed a whole heap of ideas about why I should do it and I'm justifying it in my mind by this idea of a nice party. Yeah. Well, I really, Potentially. I really enjoy asking why. I know that can be tiring for some people, but I think it's great to ask why do we do things. It's the most important question in life to be really philosophical about it. I do want to touch on a great comment that was from listener Isabel. She wrote, lately I keep thinking about life and how it's so short and that we should celebrate as many things as we can and create as many moments. We don't get many opportunities in life to make a celebration out of. So that's why it's important to me to be able to look back on when I'm old and gray. I know it's simple and I know it's sweet, but that's it for me. I like the idea of having fun and doing something nice and having something that holds symbolism and meaning and that's really beautiful to me. I think love is this really great, big, amorphous thing and I don't blame anyone for trying to pin it down or trace around it because no one can see love and I what I enjoy about going to other people's weddings is I see that couple's love, even if I've spent a lot of time around that couple, you don't hear about what they mean to each other and you don't see what they mean to each other just at a dinner date or out at a bar on a Saturday night. When you hear someone's wedding vows or you hear the speeches at a wedding dinner, that is moving and it is life affirming. And I love weddings. I absolutely adore them. And I think one of the uh, pieces of writing that we heard that's from Dolly Alderton, we actually heard it read out at our friend Sophie's wedding earlier this year, Zara, is one of my favourite pieces about love and being around a couple and all of the people they love and recognising how they feel for each other is important to me. It's definitely important to me. I want to pull us out of our kind of hole of earnestness just for one second because I think it's also important to go back and forth on these things. So many people keep recommending Gia Tolentino's essay in her new book, Trick Mirror, on the wedding industrial complex, which we haven't been able to get our hands on. But a few people have sent us quotes and I thought this one was really interesting. She said, I still wonder how much harder it would be to get straight women to accept the reality of marriage if they weren't first presented with the reality of a wedding. So we're, we're first fed this idea of a wedding before we're, we're second fed this idea of love and marriage. And I wonder if we swallow that idea first and ride it before we have a chance to think critically about it. With all of that in mind, though, I think I still come back to where you stand in that it's much easier to define love when you can see it in front of you with two people telling all of the people they love why they love each other. Lucy Morris wrote for The Cut, and I kind of wanted to finish on one of these quotes in a piece titled, Why Do I Want to Get Married So Bad? She said, there was something warm and the idea that we could be married. There was no rationale for this. How would marriage be substantially different from what we had now? It was infuriating. I wanted the whole idea gone, but it was lodged under my head and appearing everywhere around me. I think that's it for a lot of us in that it's infuriating. Some of us some of us can't actually logically pin it down apart from the fact it seems like a nice, wholesome, celebratory thing to do and maybe that's explanation enough. I just want to throw my hands in the air and be like, it's nice. Stop questioning it. <laughs> One quote I do want to leave this on and you guys can have a bit 
of rumination time, then come into the Facebook group and tell us your thoughts. It's from Elizabeth Gilbert, of course, the best-selling author of Eat, Pray, Love. She wrote in her book Committed, which was released in 2010, the person whom you choose to marry is perhaps the single most vivid representation of your own personality. Your spouse becomes the most gleaming possible mirror through which your emotional individualism is reflected back to the world. There is no choice more intensely personal, after all, than whom you choose to marry. That choice tells us, to a large extent, who you are. Uh Uh-oh. I just want to come back on that one second because I know we're going to finish on something nice. That exactly quote could be used for the person you spend the rest of your life with, marriage or no marriage. But the piece of paper cements it. It goes, this is the one. I don't know. I've I've just cemented it by law. I'm giving over 50% of everything I own. (laughs) I'm fucking up all my finances. I don't know if Elizabeth Gilbert's quote sells me on marriage as much as the people in our Facebook group. So well done, listeners, for being smarter and more thoughtful for me than Elizabeth Gilbert. The cleverest people there ever were. Thank you, as always, so much for listening. We are in shameless podcast community as always there will be an episode thread come and talk to us about the things we spoke about in the episode zara is the beach hero we didn't need nor do we deserve it's been an hour and i've forgotten that that even happened (laughs) and michelle is a hybrid of monica and ross fuck you gotta be cracking terrible gags on this podcast (laughs) bye thank you for listening don't know why you do very appreciative also we're on instagram at shameless podcast thank you so much we will be in your ears on thursday bye how long can i go for before you press stop hello guys mish here i am the co-founder of shameless media Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.